Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, for the next hour, we'll talk graphic novels, nonfiction, sci-fi, young adult novels, page turners we want you to know about. It's our annual summer reading special. And what better place to dive into our discussion than here at the WGBH studio at the Boston Public Library. This summer, get ready to feast on a virtual smorgasbord of books, old favorites, and new finds. In the city that never sleeps, someone is turning fiction into reality. There are three laws of robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or allow a human being to come to harm. I know I made a promise, but I can't quite remember what it was. Livy told me she'd help me figure out who I am. What was that? Over there. Come on, let's have a look. <gasps> I am a mermaid. I operated on an almost non-stop adrenaline high. Jacked into a custom cyberspace deck that took me into the Matrix. I was a thief who worked for other wealthier thieves. I stole from the big corporations. And then I stole from my employers. An American Marriage by Thierry Jones. I could not put it down and have already passed it on to lots of my friends. Joining me here at the WGBH Satellite Studio at the BPL for our annual summer book show, Julie Roach, Manager of Youth Services at the Cambridge Public Library. Hello, Julie. Hi. John, also Robin Brenner, Teen Librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. Hi, Robin. Hi. And Andrew Maloney, music librarian at the Boston Public Library. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have all of you. This is one of my favorite conversations because we get to talk all books all the time. What's wrong with that? Nothing. So first, I have to ask everybody their philosophy about summer reading. So Andrew, I'm going to start with you. Do you feel like you? this is your time to really delve in to the heavyweight stuff, or is it all light and just something to enjoy? You know, I think it depends uh, what I'm doing, but mostly I like to try to revisit books that I've been meaning to read for a long time because the summer just feels like a wonderful time to lie around in the sun and enjoy myself and really take things. For me, a lot of times that means meaty, but I also like a lot of fantasy and sci-fi novels that are light and fun and just sort of take me on adventures. Okay. How about you, Julie? I, well, I, during the year, I read a lot for obligation for work. And during the summer, I just want to read exactly whatever I want. And that's what I encourage others to do too. Summer is for pleasure reading. And? Um, I do a little bit of both. I like to catch up on things that I've been meaning to read that I keep hearing about all year um, and just haven't gotten to yet. But I also like to dig into series so you can kind of have a full through line of the summer. 
Well, here's something that I noticed. I looked at all of your lists that, and by the way, we're going to put your lists online after our discussion. And uh, there's a, the through line, uh, Robin, seems to be a lot of sci-fi or pure fantasy and, you know, people going to different worlds, not of this earth. And I wondered if that was because of the times, not necessarily because it's the summer, but the times we live in are so fraught and people are like, you know what? I don't want anything that resembles reality. Are you finding that? I don't want anything that resembles reality. <laughs> okay, librarian. <laughs> Let's all escape. <laughs> but I wondered if that was what you were seeing in terms of what people were seeking out to read as well during the year already. I think so. Well, a little bit of both. I think some people are um, want to read more about what they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. So if there are particular issues that are um, concerning them right now, they want to read sort of stories that can help them process that a little better. I think there are two different types of people. Some people want to escape from it all, and some people really need the comfort of understanding that someone is feeling what they're feeling too. All right. So what would be a book, This I'm speaking to Julie Roach, that seems to fit that category from your list? Well, I think um, Julian is a Mermaid is yes. uh, a picture book for younger readers. It's about a, a, a young boy named Julian, and he's at a swimming lesson, and he really wants to be a mermaid, and he sees these ladies on his way home with his abuela who are dressed in this incredible, beautiful mermaid costumes. And when he gets home... He pulls everything together and makes one of his own, and it's incredible. And when his abuela sees him, she has the best, most empowering reaction that she could have. And I think it's a book for boys, it's a book for girls, it's a book for parents, it's a book for people who love swimming and mermaid fans. Uh, it's just for everyone, and it has this sort of empowering be you who you are and explore what you want to be kind of point to it, and it's just gorgeous to look at. Well, as it happens, I just purchased a little knitted crochet brown mermaid at Porter Square Books. <laughs> so I'm all in to do it as a mermaid. <laughs> Andrew, uh, which one of your books might express the sort of people not wanting to deal right now and want to go to other places? Well, I think that maybe Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman would be a good choice. It's been a really popular one still uh, here at the Boston Public Library um, since it came out last year. And Neil Gaiman is, of course, a masterful storyteller um, of all sorts. And in this particular book, he actually is rehashing Old Norse mythology, but in a very modern way, a very funny way, a very human way. And I like it because not only might it be seen as escapist, but also, um, you know, mythology is a lot about what it means to be human and people connecting. And I think in this day and age, it's really important uh, for people to read things that just sort of makes them feel like we're all part of the same family. Do you feel that's a little bit of a departure for Neil Gaiman? I, I would say that uh, it fits into his, his canon quite well, but, but uh, it's definitely not uh, his most common focus. Mm -hmm. he, I think uh, especially like an example would be Coraline. Um, he wrote that as a story uh, for his children, and I think if I'm rem remembering it's correctly, movie. it was a yeah, yeah. It also was made into a movie, mm -hmm. and it, it was inspired by his daughter. And and um, he's always been sort of fascinated with the childlike imagination, uh, and incorporated that really well. And this is a bit of a departure from that because it's very classic in some ways. Uh, but I think he takes his own spin on it really well. Okay, that's my guest, Andrew. All right, Robin. 
so in terms of books that are a little lighter, mm -hmm. but still have a little bit of weight behind them as the story, um, there's actually a graphic novel I really love called The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. And it's um, a story that looks a lot, when you look at the art and you look at the style, it feels like a Disney fairy tale sort of story. It's not set in a specific time, although it is set in Paris, so it's a specific city. Um, and it's the story of a prince who, as it turns out, likes to dress as a female persona. Um, Lady Cristalia is her name. And he discovers a dressmaker who fits his idea of fashion, and he hires her to be the person who makes his dresses for this kind of adventures in the city. Of course, no one knows that this is who this is. He has to hide it from everybody. And um, the nice thing about the book is, one, it's gorgeous. The artwork is fantastic. All of the clothing and dresses and everything are kind of beautiful and make you want all of them. Um, but it's also a really sweet story that ends up being about not just him, but also the dressmaker wanting to have her own career and not just be hidden away as a secret. Um, so there's a lot of different levels you can read it at. It works as just a fairy tale. It is ultimately a romance, um, but it's very gentle and kind of sweet. Um, but it's also about gaining acceptance, admitting who you are, talking to the people you love about that, and then you know, being confident in who you are. So it's a, it's a beautiful book and I think a really great um, story for a lot of younger teens and yeah. older teens and could go down to, to younger. Tell me about the graphic novel um, influence at this point. I mean, mm -hmm. there was a time a couple of years ago when graphic novels seemed to be a novelty. They no longer are, but they mm -hmm. are still quite popular. Mm -hmm. So uh, are the ones that are really interesting to people, the ones like such as you just described, mm -hmm. or is it just part and parcel of everything that people might uh, check out of the library at this point. I think it's become just an alternate format. Mm -hmm. It's another way to read something. Um, there are certain people that are drawn very much to visuals and, and want to get their story that way. Um, they're a very different way of reading, so you have to learn how to do it sometimes, depending on how long the book is. It can feel you know, tiresome if it's 600 pages of graphic novel and you're not used to that. That can take a while to learn. But most um, younger readers have grown up with that their entire lives. It's not weird to them. They find them on the shelves everywhere. So... For most people, it's become very ordinary to read comics in the mix of everything else that they read. Um, and I think especially with things like superhero films made them more visible in pop culture, but a lot of the really powerhouse books are books like The Prince and the Dressmaker, the ones that are aimed at kind of um, the older kids into younger teen category. Those are the most voracious readers of comics and the huge juggernaut successes like Raina Telgemeier and, and that kind of story are never going to stop being popular, and if anything, are just getting bigger and bigger. And they're bigger than superheroes at this point in terms of who reads them. How can, just one question about this, because it comes up all the time. What's the difference between a graphic novel and a comic? There is actually no real difference. The length is okay. the biggest difference. Right. If you're talking about a comic book, it's 32 pages. A graphic novel can be anywhere from 50 to 1,000. It just, you know, it's just the length. It's the okay. same way of telling the story. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are Robin Brenner of the Public Library of Brookline. You just heard her. Julie Roach of the Cambridge Public Library and Andrew Maloney of the Boston Public Library. We're talking about our top picks for summer reads for children and adults. Okay, let's do another round. Pick one of your tops, Andrew. I noticed, I will just say, I noticed you have Soul Survivor, uh, a biography of Al Green. Yes, well, I'm a very voracious music <laughs> listener as well as a lover of reading. Mm -hmm. And uh, Al Green in particular, um, out of all of the wonderful soul and funk singers of the 60s and 70s, has sort of stood through the test of time 
as somebody who no one really understands, which is what's so cool about this biography. So biographies have been written about him in the past, um, but this one particular by uh, Jimmy McDonough um, is really takes a look at who he is in each part of his life when he was a child, as a reverend, and also as this superstar uh, sort of um, romantic figure uh, that really took the public's um, imagination places. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. He sort of not only looks at uh, new ideas about Al Green and who Al Green is, but he also pulls apart all sorts of old interviews with people who knew Al Green, with Al Green himself, uh, and from all different time periods, and tries to create this mosaic of who this man really is. It's really fascinating. Oh. Um, people may remember that at one point, President, former President Obama sang a little Al Green at an event. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The Let's Stay Together. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that was actually, I believe, his only number one hit. And it's a very famous song because of that. And, um, you know, it was, it was such a, a, a big thing then. And, and it's really stuck with me personally as a lover of music, um, that and a lot of his other uh, soul and gospel tunes. So it's a great book. If anybody is a music fan, even if you don't know um, Al Green uh, music, uh, he's a fascinating figure, and this definitely could be a great gateway to a whole new, a whole new world. Since I see you're not going to sing a line from that, I guess I have to. <laughs> I'm sorry, Let's I'm not a singer. Stay together, loving you, whether whether times are good or bad, happy or there you go. <laughs> So now you, <laughs> you at least have heard a little snippet of it. Not, not a good snippet, but you heard some. Much better right. than I could have given. <laughs> okay, round robin. Back to you, Julie. Oh, let's see if I can think of something you can sing. No. Uh, <laughs> we're done there. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, Jason Reynolds' new mm. title in his track series, Sunny. Uh, I love these books. Um, they each one sort of feature a different character, so they're loosely connected. Um, and they're all fantastic. But this new one, Sonny, is about a boy. He's um, fun and goofy, and he's just the best athlete. He's such a great runner. And uh, he just seems like the most easygoing kid. But inside, he has a lot of things going on. His uh, mom passed away during his birth, and he has a very strained relationship with his father. And the truth is, is that he really hates running. Mm. He wants to dance. Oh. And um, so it's a problem because he wants to please everyone, but he has a lot of internal conflicts. So it's this great sports story, but it's also this really interesting internal story. And Jason Reynolds does such an amazing job of developing characters that kids can really relate to and find themselves in. So um, I would encourage everyone to read this book and all of the books in the track series this summer. Okay. Um, Robin, I'm noticing from your list there's a few uh, uh, very serious women authors who have, I think, become popular in their own genres. Uh, I wonder if you'd pick one of those and talk about it. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of good ones here. Mm -hmm. um, I would say one of the people who's really made her mark recently um, is uh, Becky Albertalli. Um, she wrote Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which was the basis for the movie Love, Simon, um, which has been very, very, very charming yeah. sort of romantic mm -hmm. comedy. Um, and in that case, featuring a gay lead character, which has never had like the John Hughes comedy for, for a gay character. Mm. Um, so Leah on the Offbeat is a kind of sequel. It's a companion. It's about um, who was the best friend in, you know, Simon is now the main character. And it's about her senior year and figuring out she's a, a drummer. Um, she's a really fierce character. She's really strong. 
and um, determined to kind of figure out her life, but at the same time, she's starting to figure out her own sexuality and figure out who she has a crush on and, and kind of dealing with that in the midst of the usual high school. Um, there's also a really great discussion within the book that's handled very well about um, race and being an ally and being kind of a bad or good ally. Um, it's handled really well and I think just really smart within the book. Um, so I was really glad that she returned to that universe and she's just becoming one of those authors that's so easy to recommend because every book she's done has been great. Does, are, there, are the authors that you have on your list and some of their books, those who obviously have other books, are they the ones that people keep returning to during the year? Or is there uh, a particular interest in them at this time of the year? Can you tell? I mean, I think that uh, really good books can be read any time of the mm -hmm. year. And in the case of one of my picks, Feel Free, uh, Essays by Zadie Smith, I know that um, she's written books that have come come out all uh, all throughout the year, and people have been interested in continuously. She wrote um, Swing Time, uh, which was a wonderful novel about uh, two women of color who were aspiring dancers and sort of their friendship into their early 20s and then their separation and continuing life, uh, which was really wonderful. But this in particular is a collection of um, essays that she's written. Um, she's a really phenomenal essayist, and I actually haven't read, the, read this one yet, uh, this one's on my summer reading list. I'm very excited for it. The essays cover everything from social media to global warming and libraries, which I'm very excited about. Um, and so uh, I think a lot of times people just find the summer a wonderful time to enjoy reading because you sort of get to relax and, and put that side of time for it. Well, she's a beautiful writer. Yes, so this is somebody whose work you could really spend some time to savor. So as an essayist, I can only imagine. I mean, I got a few that I love. Uh, you, you heard at the beginning uh, about uh, from Oprah, who picked uh, An American Marriage, Tyari Jones's latest uh, novel, as uh, one of her picks. And it's just, I can't say enough about it. Um, it is, Tyari is a fabulous writer, and the story is so interesting and set in these times. And it just, there's enough twists in the book that you're like, what? What do you mean? What? <laughs> so it's the kind of it's, it's the kind of thing you want to read. Um, and in fact, I had uh, given it to a friend of mine, and she was screaming from the other room. And her boyfriend said, "What is happening?" And she said, "I can't believe this." That's the kind of book it is. Those are the so, best books. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you'd enjoy that. And I have a particular interest this summer in a couple of cooking books. Uh, one of them is by Rick Bragg. Um, People may know that name. He, for a long time, was a writer at the New York Times. He is an incredible writer. And the name of his book is The Best Cook in the World, and it's about his mother. And oh. uh, I had no idea that he's from a family of, of boys, and he's realized when she was older that they were going to lose all of the recipes that she didn't ever write down. And his description of the way that she... Yeah, they're all in her head, you know. Just, I just have started the beginning of it, and it's really, you know, quite something. The other one is The Cooking Gene by Michael Twitty, and he's going back looking at some of these recipes that came from slavery times coming forward with the culture. And it's just very interesting to me, and I figure, what you know, why, why not read about culture and cooking in the summertime? Yeah. It's a pretty good. It's a great time for right, it. Everybody's getting together and barbecuing and, and exactly. the whole thing. Mm -hmm. All right, Robin, another one from your list. <laughs> um, I think it's funny. I think... A lot of the books that come out over the summer tend to be, especially for the ones that are kind of rushed in at the, at the end of the uh, spring, 
um, tend to be romances, tend mm. to be the kind of summer light reads. Um, I actually wish that we had more of them all year because I'm like, my teens don't distinguish. They want them all the time. Um, but there, at least I know I can count on like a rush of um, good, uh, smart romances because I find my teens don't want just complete fluff. They mm. want a little bit in there, but mm. they, they do want it to have the happy ending and they want to know, they're kind of reassured that it's going to be good. Um, Morgan Matson is a really reliable kind of good, sweet romance writer for, for teens, and her new one is called Save the Date, and it's about the youngest in a family of five, and her entire family is descending on the house because um, her older sister is getting married. But as we all know, weddings yes. bring out all the good <laughs> and all the bad in families, yeah. um, and she has, you know, a crush on a different person as an ex reappears, and, you know, all the kind of things you would... So it's a very traditional comedy of errors, but it's really sweet and really well done. Um, I also really, The Way You Make Me Feel by Maureen Gu, she's another one who's done some really great books, and I like that it kind of shifts around depending on what she's focusing on. Um, so I think those kinds of books are the mm -hmm. kind of always looked for. Um, definitely people want that little bit of a positive outlook in the book and, and to know that they'll get that from the book that they've picked up. So I'm going to recall a statistics here that is going to make uh, us statistic people say, really? And it's true. And that is that straight-up romances actually fund the entire rest of the publishing. <laughs> That's true. Every yeah. other genre is held up by romance novels. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. <laughs> yeah, but people you know, give them little respect. They're, when they're well done, they're very well done. And I know a lot of... Uh, of writers who do that. One of my favorites is J.D. Robb. She writes mm -hmm. all kinds of series, but my favorite in the summer and any other time of the year, for that matter, is her In Death series, which is a mystery series. Um, it can be a little bloody. I have to close my eyes on some part of it, but I still <laughs> like it. The, the writing is good. All right, back to you, Julie. Well, if, for children, um, romance is really more about friendship, yes. in a way, for the younger kids. And uh, a book that I have just read that I, that I really kind of fell in love with is Rose Town by Cynthia Ryland. Um, uh, this would be such a great family read aloud. It's about a little girl named Flora, and she lives in this very quiet Rose Town, Indiana. Um, she's nine years old. She's going in fourth grade, and she's having a hard time in fourth grade. She, her parents have just separated, and her beloved dog has just died. So things are rough. Um, but she meets a new boy who's moved into town, Yuri. And Yuri is Ukrainian, and he is also feeling a bit lost. And these two form a friendship. And it's the most beautiful story of two young nine-year-old children supporting each other and um, teaching each other to become their own selves and be independent. It's this beautiful story about what home really means and what being your own person really means. And I think it would just be such a great little story for families to read aloud this summer and think about. Um, and it's just beautifully written. It seems to me, Julie, that a lot of the books uh, that you've uh, selected for young kids, which is really interesting, really are dealing with where they where they are and how they are living yep. today. Yep. Or if they don't know, if they're not living that way, they have a friend yep. or somebody. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because it seems like authors are really paying close attention to how they frame these stories. Well, when you're when you're little, I think, and um, you know, in sort of elementary school, you don't have a lot of agency over your life, and a lot of change is happening. And um, I think. 
for someone to fall in love with reading, I think finding sort of that companion, someone that they can relate to in a book is so important. It's sort of, there's someone like me out there that I don't even know. There must be other people like me. This person gets me. I think that's so powerful, that connection for young readers, and it can really, it can really change things for them. It can make them feel safe and secure. And I was just noting that you're talking about reading that aloud. That can also help the adults in the family sort of begin to have a conversation mm -hmm. um, with little ones, even if they're they're not talking about it. Yeah, I mean, you know? some books are really great for reading all by yourself, and some books are great for sharing because they allow you to sort of have these conversations that maybe it would be hard to open up if you didn't have um, sort of that vehicle of a story to talk with. Uh, it's a great bonding experience for families. Uh, I, I also just want to also mention, it came out last year or maybe the year before, but the We Need Diverse Books as an anthology of stories. Um, they're short stories by a lot of authors who speak to some some of these uh, life uh, yep. realities and done really well. So I, I highly encourage that. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Julie Roach, Robin Brenner, and Andrew Maloney, our panel of librarians for our annual summer reading special. So when you guys come to put your list together, when you think about this, when people ask you about it, what's the number one thing you look for? Because there's many books you could have put on your list. So is there a characteristic that leads others in your making selections? I think uh, that in that and also Reader's Advisory, which I've done here at the Boston Public Library, I'm really trying to find books that I'm passionate about that... I think other people might want to read, which seems really obvious, but there's something about sharing something that you truly are really enamored with that uh, I think makes other people want to read them. And so all the books on my list are things that I, I really genuinely uh, either have read and loved or uh, are really excited to finally find that, that weekend where I get to sit on a beach and, and, just, and just power through it. Mm. And you? Uh, when working with kids, I think it's really important to be paying attention to all the time about what they're checking out and what they're looking for and what they love. And uh, when they come to me and say, does this person have another book yet? Um, so that I'm always kind of on the lookout. To, I'm following their lead a little bit and also reading a lot. I think it's so important to, if I've read it, I can talk about it in a different way with them, as a, in a peer-to-peer -peer way with kids than I could if I'm just sort of guessing. But you're inundated with bazillions of books. How it's do you, true. How do you, it's you know, true. Uh, wait, sometimes make book reviews help, but also uh -huh. I think I do think the kids who are in the library who are real readers are great guides for okay. librarians. All right. How about you, Robin? Yeah, I do a lot of listening to what my teens are looking for, and even if that means just paying attention when I'm sitting in my teen room, kind of hearing what they're talking about, hearing what comes up in their conversations to think, make sure and be like, hmm, do we have a book that would help them with that? Um, they may not ask for it, but I'll, you know, I'll what know what's there. What are they talking about? Let's well, talk they talk about many things. Um, <laughs> but, oh, you're not giving um, up the answer. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. There's a lot of negotiations about who's texting whom and such things. Oh, okay. um, but it's also, you know, there's things like um, making sure I have a diversity of genres. Um, young adult is really great because a lot of genres, one, mishmash together. So you get books that are like three different genres or four different genres together. Um, but they also, I think teens do look sometimes according to genre and I can help them branch out if I find like a writing style that works and I can be like, well, this author has this style that you like from reading funny books or whatever it may be. But um, 
but I like to make sure that if there's a, a kid who really just wants a pure mystery, then I can give them a pure mystery, and it doesn't have science fiction, it doesn't have fantasy. Um, so that's what I kind of make sure I know about the book, so it's the different appeal factors. Um, language is a big deal, too. The dialogue, the sense of humor, um, how fast the plot moves. Um, it has to, if it's, a lot of kids are just looking for a, a book that moves them through the story, and they don't want to read 200 pages of description before they get there. Mm. <laughs> so... Mm. So that's really what I'm trying to figure out is, again, looking at what the kids tell me and pulling that out of them um, and then figuring out which and, books And what's will something match. on your list right now that you know answers all of that very um, well? I really loved White Rabbit by mm -hmm. um, Kaylee Brorig. It's a very, very traditional mystery. Um, it's a little bit noir. Um, it's very built around the idea of like high school noir. Um, and it's uh, a young man who's at a party. Um, he gets a call from his half-sister, who has a whole lot of problems around her and her family. He just barely knows any of them, but he's always kind of connected to them. And it turns out that she is implicated in the murder of her boyfriend, and mm. she insists that he come and help her and either cover it up or help figure out what actually happened, because she doesn't remember. Wow. Um, so his ex is involved in that very sort of, you know, noir-y sort of way, where you're forced to be with people that you don't really want to be with. Um, but there's also... Um, I really like the dialogue. It's a really tightly plotted mystery. It turns very well at the end of each chapter, as it should. Um, and I think, uh, I know the author drew a little inspiration from the movie Brick. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know mm -hmm. that film. Um, but it's that same feeling of kind of ratcheting tension. But it also still feels like teenagers. It doesn't ever feel like it's not realistic. Um, so it's a very nice mystery. I really enjoyed it. But, you know, what's interesting is that, it, particularly in the YA category, that's crossed over to adult readers, oh, yeah. hugely, uh, particularly in recent years. Mm -hmm. What have you seen that adult readers are coming for particularly? Um, they are, are often looking for books that, honestly, that the plot moves. Mm -hmm. um, they want books that get them through an adventure, that give them a kind of an immediate um, payback of getting kind of what they want out of a book. Um, there are a lot of different kinds of young adult that are out there. I have noticed a lot of... Um, readers moving towards some of the kind of more epic fantasy series mm. that you get in young adult, um, partially because there is a large portion that are written by women, whereas I think traditionally fantasy is more has been more masculine, not, not always. Mm -hmm. um, but it, so it means a lot of the, the kind of younger women um, up through you know, women in their 40s and 50s are looking for fantasy that has those characters at the front. Um, so that's, they sometimes find those series in the young adult room. But they're just as complex, they're just as political. Um, and they have that little added thing that makes them young adult, which is a coming of age arc, um, which can really work as well. Do you call that the Harry Potter effect? A little bit, yes, definitely. Mm. Harry Potter will always be the thing that brought people into reading series and big books. Mm. <laughs> so, All right, well, everybody go around and pick another one. Andrew? All right, so my next pick uh, is paired with my favorite thing to do during the summer, mm -hmm. which is make a campfire. Oh, God. And, oh. <laughs> what, what, you don't like campfires? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Well, <laughs> Callie will be in the hotel, but you can tell me about it. I'll fair, read about it. Fair enough. <laughs> So w around campfires, you know, it's sort of getting dark and the mm -hmm. stars are coming out. I love to share short horror stories with my friends and my family oh my and read each other's stories because uh, it's fun and spooky. And also it's sharing reading, which is just one of my favorite things to do. Um, so my pick is uh, the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. I didn't pick one story in particular because they're all pretty short and uh -huh. you can get one volume of okay. all of his works. Um, but th he is a, a classic uh, horror writer from the turn of the 20th century. He writes really creepy, mysterious, and dark fiction. Um, but it's so short that I feel like people who sort of stray away from horror could still enjoy it because it's sort of like a snap. And sometimes it's more mysterious than it is scary, almost like a, a Indiana Jones 
um, or the mummy sort of situation. Uh-huh. Um, and they're just really fun, imaginative stories. He um, grew up in New England, so a lot of the settings uh, are um, set in a, what is essentially New England, so that's really oh. fun at, at, for people who live here. It sort of um, brings the stories home, and, uh, and you know, you can spook out your friends. I did not know that like, it was, you know, a lot of the, he was from New England and set many of the stories in this area. Yeah, that's something to know. Wow. All right, I'm not going to be up at the campfire being scared to death, but okay. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> a lot of people will enjoy that. All right, uh, Julie. All right, I'll go the opposite direction of the campfire. So uh, there's a new, uh, fairly new graphic novel for younger kids that just came out called Boulevard by Sean Rubin, uh, which I found just delightful, and it's kind of flowing under the radar, so I want to give it some attention. Um, it takes place in modern-day New York City. The art is just a treat. Uh, there's so many mm-hmm. fun things to notice. Um, and so they're in a little apartment in New York City. Among all the many people in New York City, there lives a dinosaur. And for real, a dinosaur. <laughs> he's living in this apartment, and he's been there a long time. He minds his business. He pays his rent on time. He doesn't make noise after 10 o'clock, and no one has noticed. <laughs> The dinosaur, because they're so caught up in, you know, all the busyness of living in the city and their own lives, except the neighbor girl next door. She's seen the dinosaur, and she's trying to let everybody know, and they're just ignoring her and not listening to her. But finally, it starts to come to light that there is a dinosaur living in New York City. And uh, then all kinds of problems arise. So it's this fun look at, at the city, and it says a lot about observing what is going on around you. And then also, it says a lot about not making snap judgments once you see things that are different going on around you. So it's just beautiful. It's so, 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 so much fun. It's uh, a beautiful, I just looked at it online and I was very gorgeous. entranced by it, I have to say. It was a delightful. <laughs> I bought my own copy. I loved it that much. <laughs> All right, Robin. Um, well, one thing I was thinking about with the summer is, is um, this is the season of, of conventions, fan conventions, comic conventions. Um, Boston Comic Con comes in August. Um, and I've noticed there's an uptick in books that are about being a fan in some way. Oh. Um, and that is something a lot of teens do. They start pretty young in middle school and they get online and discover other fans and they discover their fans amongst their friends. Um, so there are actually two books that I really liked that, that talk about both of those kind of um, uh, ways to spend your time. Um, so one's called Ship It by Britta London. Um, she's actually, this is her first novel, she's a writer for Riverdale. Oh. So that gives you a sense yeah. of the style. Right. Um, and it's about a, a kind of a big name fan um, who's not particularly social in real life, but is well known on the internet in this very particular fandom. Um, she ends up going to a convention for the first time and ends up being um, asking kind of the wrong question, according to the people who make the show that she loves, um, and gets very embarrassed. And then to make it up to her, they invite her along to the rest of the tour with the cast and crew of this show that she's you know obsessed with. Um, so it becomes a really interesting look at what it means to be a fan, how far you can push things. Um, and the other point of view in the story is one of the actors on the show. Wow. So you get both of them talking about well, this is too far, this is not far enough, this is why we're asking you about this. So the kind of arguments that fans get into about why isn't the story what I want or why it should be this way. Um, So it was a really well done book. I think it's really smart. It doesn't always go the place you think it will. Um, So I enjoyed it a lot. Um, The other one is called Don't Cosplay With My Heart um, by Cecil Castellucci. And that one is about the kind of power of cosplay, um, which is costume play where people, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen all the yes, photos yes. of the major elaborate costumes that people build like over a year. And then you have these amazing kind of times. Um, this one I really liked because it gets into the idea that 
um, cosplay can be something you relate to the character that is the, the costume, but it also makes you more yourself if you figure out how to make things yourself. And it's a, a person who starts as an amateur. She doesn't know anything about how to sew or how to do anything. She just knows she needs to do this this, this summer. Um, so it's about her finding, again, a convention, finding friends, finding people she wouldn't have thought to know, even within her own circle, that turn out to be fans that she didn't know. Um, and she's got a pretty rough situation at home. Her father is about to be uh, arrested for uh, white-collar crime. So she's trying to find a way out of that negativity. Um, and the making of costumes and finding new friends is what helps. All right. Well, we got a lot more to talk about in this full hour of our annual summer reading conversation, but we need to take a short break and we'll be back with more conversation with summer reading suggestions from our librarians. And they will be happy to also answer questions from anybody here at the library at this moment. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And this week we're devoting our entire show to the books you'll want to read this summer. I'm joined by a panel of local librarians who've curated their own lists of recommendations for your beach bag. And they're joining me here at WGBH's studio at the Boston Public Library. Julie Roach, Manager of Youth Services at the Cambridge Public Library. Robin Brenner, Teen Librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. And Andrew Maloney, Music Librarian at the Boston Public Library. So let's get right back into our conversation. I will say that on my list uh, is a first-time novel by a woman named Lillian Lee. It's called Number One Chinese Restaurant. In the last year or so, I've been fascinated by a cadre of young, particularly young uh, Asian-American writers, many of them women, who are really speaking to not just the immigrant experience, but a contemporary situation that's happening in their lives. And this attracted me. I've not read it. I'm looking forward to it. It's getting a bit of attention because it's set in a familiar setting with a family that runs a Chinese uh, restaurant and all of the attending family issues that may come with that. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, another one that's come to me now three times by three different people, A Girl Stands at the Door. Uh, this is about black women who integrated schools uh, really between that sort of uh, Brown versus Board of Education and then, but before things opened up a little more and then other things shifted. And four or five people keep recommending the book to me, so I guess I'll be reading it <laughs> this summer. It seems to be pretty interesting. So those are a couple things on my list. But I'm going back around to your list now, Andrew. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd love to uh, keep the ball rolling talking about graphic novels and comics. Um, okay. I'm also a really big fan, and um, we were talking before about sort of what the span of graphic novels is. And one book on my list is called The Best We Can Do by uh, T. Bowie. And it's a, a memoir by a, a, a Vietnamese American woman who, um, when she was very young, came over with her family to escape uh, the conflict in Vietnam. And uh, it sort of jumps around in time to her parents' childhoods, to her childhood, to her adulthood, taking care of her parents. And it's just sort of about discovering who you are and who the people that you've known your whole life are and, and coming into adulthood in a way, in a, in a really serious manner. And I learned a lot about the Vietnam War, uh, sort of getting a personal, I guess, secondhand account technically through her parents and, and all sorts of little details that you pick up in these stories that you don't get when you're in school or otherwise. And I think it's just an absolutely spectacular memoir 
you'll learn a lot. You'll really feel for the characters and what they've gone through. And it's a, it's a great example of how amazing graphic novels can be and how the format can really lend itself to an emotional and, and rewarding experience. Yeah. Okay. All right, Robin. Um, so there's one that I really enjoyed. Um, it's called Be Prepared by Vera Braskell. And she's a beautiful creator. Her art is a little more cartoony. So you get a very kind of cute sort of look to the style. But this is actually based on her, it is her own memoir of going to an Orthodox Russian summer camp and pretty much hating it. I've heard her speak about how much she had, you know, never really gotten over that whole experience. Um, but I think like a lot of the, the memoirs, this is more middle grade, so it's a little younger. Mm -hmm. But I think all of us have memories of camp if you went and there are things that were good and things that were bad. <laughs> and, and I think she just really brings it all out. I love the expressions that she does. She has a real knack for reaction and the kind of beat of a story in a comic is very important to have the, the time and the space and the silence in between the panels is what make those expressions work and make the jokes or the pain come forward. Um, so she does a beautiful job with that. Oh, good. Julie? I really have enjoyed this book and think kids will enjoy this book called Bob. And it's written by uh, two very popular um, children's authors, Wendy Mass and Rebecca Stead. They write it together. They each sort of alternate chapters. And one of them takes the perspective of a young girl named Livy. And the other one, uh, Livy is visiting her grandmother for the first time in many, many years because her grandmother lives in Australia, it's far away. And the last time she was there, she was five. And the other author takes the perspective of this character called Bob. Bob is a self-described zombie-like <laughs> creature wearing a chicken costume, and he's in the closet, and he's been there waiting and pining for Livy to come back since she left when she was five years old. And he misses her dreadfully, and he's kind of angry that she left him behind. And she comes back, and she, she's a little freaked out that he's there, and she doesn't remember this <laughs> at all. And she has this time, there, and then there's lots of interesting things going on in the environment around her, and they have to figure out who Bob is, where he came from, how to get him back safely. It's such an interesting little fantasy, and it's this interesting sort of back and forth between these two popular authors representing these different characters. I think all elementary age kids will have such a good time with this, and Bob is such an enjoyable creature to get to know. <laughs> Are you finding that um, your favorite books, the ones that people return to or really enjoy, are well-known authors or are people just constantly discovering new people? I think it's a little bit of mm -hmm. both, but I definitely think it helps if there's an author that you loved and you've mm -hmm. read their whole canon of material when they have something new coming out. There's always a demand for that, even among really, really young children. So... So yeah, the fact that these two women are working together to produce one book is is which is really hard to do, by the oh, way. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't envy <laughs> yeah, the, I don't the know process. How doing that. I yeah, know. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah. Um, so I think that will be something really exciting for for kids to to think about. Um, Andrew, when you look at the list of the top ten bestsellers on the New York Times list, and people come in, of course, to ask for those books a lot because. They're on the top they're 10 popular. list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, then people just assume they're on the top 10 list. Well, I guess I probably should read it. Of course. Uh, I'm just curious about if people are just really guided by that so strongly that it's really hard for them to, you know, sort of get off that well-trod path to hear what we're saying here about books and authors that you may not have heard of that may take you in a different direction. 
working with people where I did before I was a music librarian and reader's advisory, you came ac across people who were w just wanted the new Grisham novel or mm. what have you. And in a lot of cases, I think that that is the case, that they can sort of be pigeonholed a little bit in the sorts of books they read. But also, when a book breaks into that bestseller list that doesn't fit the stereotype of the other books that are on there. And I think when that happens, there's actually a, pro a proliferation of interest in all sorts of other books, and, and people start to realize that there's more options out there. And, and um, also, I've, I think it's not just that people like the bestseller list so much as they like someone else to have already read the book and ah. tell them that it's good. Yeah. So it's easiest to get that by looking at the bestseller list, but I've talked to people and recommended them books that I liked that would never be on that list, and they were just excited to get excited about a book that I had read. So, Well, you know what? There is something to be said about that. In, in my personal book club, our rule is you cannot recommend a book unless someone in the club has read it That's because great. we had that experience of just you know sort of reading the reviews and then everybody being mad at whoever suggested it. Like, who, who came up with this? Yeah. I wasted my time reading this. So someone has to read it, so you take responsibility for bringing it forward, because you know that you know the club would want to read something of interest. It doesn't have to be a genre that everybody likes, but it has to be something that you can recommend, because you know that it's, it's worthwhile. Um, do you find the same thing uh, for you, Robin? Do people come in, or, or do you have a population at, a little bit more open to new Authors. Interestingly, I think teens are more excited, most excited, if um, their friends recommend mm. a book. It's all about the kind of peer-to-peer -peer recommendations. Um, and there are sometimes, you know, I love the dramatic arguments that happen when they discover that their favorite book is their, you know, friend's least favorite book, and you get <laughs> little, like, tussles going on in the teen room. Um, but I think the, the good thing about that is they, they do tend to be more adventurous. They are, are sometimes forget that they can ask me for books, so every once in a while I'll be like, you could ask me. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we have a good time of, once I start to realize what it is they like, then I can kind of, you know, tailor recommendations. But I think they are less used to all the categories and the ways that people kind of um, fence off different kinds of books. So they, ah. they, just, they just kind of go ahead and try something. And I do think, as much as it may be a cliche, um, the covers can make a huge difference. Um, there's been a lot more, in the past few years, a lot more um, diversity on covers, which mm -hmm. is great um, in terms of just the people on the covers look more like the kids in my room. So they can see themselves in the books just from looking at the covers, and that's really important paying attention to what the kids are looking for, but also the books that will resonate with what they're going through now. Um, so, but I, I do think they're, they're more willing to branch out in terms of genre or like that kind of classic categories don't apply to them as much. I think that's really important, actually, in terms of really fostering a lifelong reading habit mm -hmm. to, to not be boxed in by genres that the rest of us may or may not recognize. Now, in your category, Julie, you know, other people are making the decisions for your little ones about right, what books. Yeah, yeah, yeah I always try yeah. to advocate for the kids getting to yeah. make their own decisions mm -hmm. no matter how young they are. Yes. But it's true. Sometimes the parents come in and are making the decisions mm -hmm. for them. And I always say, next time, bring, bring your daughter or son in to talk to me. But I think trust is the real thing. I think that's what we're talking about mm -hmm. all here. The word of mouth is really important for reader's advisory and for particularly for children's and teen librarians developing that rapport with a kid. Once they're like, ah, she gets me. She knows what I like. They'll take anything from me mm -hmm. um, because they know, they know I understand them. Uh, but building that trust is something that takes a little time. Uh, but that's really important. And that's why the peer thing works so well, too. Yes. You see, they already trust their friends to make decisions <laughs> about mm -hmm. what they might like. 
or if you're in my book club and you know somebody is going to recommend something that we would call whack, you don't go with that. Right, yeah, there's, there's a flip side, too. <laughs> now everybody in my book club is wondering, who, is that me? <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are Julie Roach, Robin Brenner, and Andrew Maloney, panel of librarians for our annual summer reading special, and we're right in the middle of talking about books for the summer that they have curated lists uh, to recommend for you. We're going to post those on the website afterwards, but we're just talking about just reading in general and books in general as well. Um, here's the other thing. Are any of these books that are on your list in your own beach bags? Because you've picked according to what you know that you believe is a, a good book for other people that you know would interest them. It doesn't mean that you don't, you're not interested and you haven't read them, but I wonder if there's you know something that no. I was I was too terrified to come on the radio not having read all the books that I was going to read. All right. then, so, all so I have to bed. get new books for my butch book. Okay. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, I have one called Everything is Combustible, Television, CBGBs, and Five Decades of Rock and Roll by Richard Lloyd. Um, television in that title actually refers to a band oh. of which um, Richard Lloyd was the guitarist, and they were a very influential uh, rock band in the 70s and went on to influence all sorts of people that got really big in the 80s. And uh, this is his memoir. So another music, another music uh, memoir um, from the music librarian. But uh, <laughs> it's really spectacular. This doesn't focus as much. I mean, there are parts that focus on his career, but a lot of it, it starts all the way back when he's a really little child. And he's quite a peculiar individual. Um, he has some mental health issues that he overcomes, uh, more or less by adulthood. And uh, he spends some time in a in a, a state ward before a lot of the um, changes happened in the 70s that made it, uh, those places much nicer to be in. And um, he rubbed elbows with everybody from Buddy Guy to Jimi Hendrix. And wow. um, I mean, his story is really fascinating, and he's an absolutely unique individual. And he has essentially a photographic memory. So these memoirs are these have all of these tiny details from every moment of his life dating all the way back to when he was like four or five years old. And they're really, really fascinating and give you a, a really cool look in, into his mind. That makes it so rich. Yes. Because you, you get that fly on the wall um, being there with them while they went through it. How about you, Robin? Uh, there's one book called Final Draft by hmm. Riley Redgate. And um, she wrote a book called Noteworthy. That was her first book. And it was like a, a surprise and a delight when it came out. Um, so I've been intrigued by this one partially because it's about a girl who's a creative writer, um, which was hmm. my own major. Um, and also um, it's about her thinking that she's all set, that she's a great writer, and she's got this plan to write a great science fiction story. Um, she's a huge fan of a TV show that's kind of the, what she and her friends bond over and they go through. Um, and she has a creative writing teacher that's very um, encouraging, but not necessarily as critical as she should be. Uh, and then that teacher, unfortunately, gets in an accident and a new substitute comes in mm. who is very harsh and very critical and basically says, None of this is as good as you think it is. Um, I went through that experience in high school through <laughs> art, actually, and I remember how important that is, that kind of kick in the pants to not think you're the best at everything mm -hmm. um, and that you need someone who forces you outside of your own head and really forces you to be better and be more creative. But it is also very painful when that happens. So I'm very curious to see how she tackles that. I think it's going to be really great, um, and I, I trust her to do it well. 
All right. So outside of your own list, Miss Julie, what, what would you be looking for or thinking you might read? What, uh, well, I have a couple of things. I have a couple of adult books that oh, are good. on my list yes, uh, to read. Um, I'm uh, excited about Rachel Cusk's uh, mm. new book in her outline trilogy, Kudos. I mm. want to read that. I really like the first two. Uh, Sheila Hetty's Motherhood. Mm. I'm excited to read. Yeah, that's getting a lot of attention. It's, I know, yeah. and I, I yeah. like her. I liked her other things, so I'm I'm interested to delve into that. I actually have a couple of young reader books that oh. I might recommend, <laughs> and I'm curious if you've heard of them. One's called How to Code a Sandcastle. We just had the author <laughs> of that book at the library this past Saturday. So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> it's, it's about a girl and her robot. Which what can we like about that? <laughs> and then I, there's another one called Shaking Things Up. It's a picture book. And I don't know anything about the author. It just looked so pretty and interesting <laughs> with the character. So that's how I'm doing it. Um, Hank Phillippe Ryan is a local mystery author, and she has a standalone book. She's had two series of characters. The new one is called Trust Me, which is getting a lot of buzz. Um, she does dialogue really well in her books. And, um, you know, they're set around Boston. So that's, that's fun. So this, I'm looking forward to reading that as well. All right. We're closing in on getting to the bottom of our list. Andrew? I included one book on here I thought was very Im important because it's written by Ursula K. Le Guin, who unfortunately passed yes. earlier this year. Yes. Um, and in memory of her, I wanted to include that since she's one of my favorite authors. It's called A Wizard of Earthsea, um, and it was written in 1968, so it's not new by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly timeless. Um, it's a wonderful, we were talking about storytelling before, and this is absolutely a, a spectacular example of really good storytelling. Uh, it's about uh, a young boy, Jed, who, who um, discovers that he uh, has magical powers and goes on this um, long journey through many lands, meeting many new people, some friends, some turn out not to be such good friends, and uh, he has a lot of trials and tribulations along the way. He fights a dragon, all sorts of fun yeah. things. It's, Very Game of Thrones. Yes. Well, <laughs> and it's also a coming-of-age story. Yeah. Uh, he learns that being conceited about how talented he is isn't what's going to drive him to be a better person, mm -hmm. and he learns a lot of lessons like that, too. So it's a really wonderful book. And also uh, Jennifer Fox, the producer of Michael Clayton, got the go-ahead from Le Guin before she passed mm -hmm. um, to make it into a movie series. So all of you fans out there who love the book-to-movie connections, that might be coming our way. Wow. And you know what? She's getting a lot of renewed attention, Ursula Le Guin, mm -hmm. since her death, which is, you know, more than deserved. All right. You're nodding over there, Robin. What's else <laughs> on your list? Uh, the Children of Blood and Bone by Tony oh, Adeyemi. Yeah. Yeah. It's just been kind of a juggernaut over the past few months. Um, it's a, a really interesting fantasy novel. Um, I always love when fantasy is not set in a European-esque place, um, because so many of them are. Um, this is more drawing from West Africa and the kind of myth and cultures there. So it's had a lot of buzz. Um, it's a great book. It's a, it's a good fantasy and a very kind of will hit all those buttons, but it's really nice to have it be a different take on that. Um, and I believe it's her first, so it's nice to know that we'll get more as yes, we keep going. Yes, because I hear she's doing a series. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, similarly, um, Dread Nation by Justina Ireland yeah. is also kind of fascinating. I love weird alternate history. Um, <laughs> so the idea of like shifting the Civil War because there are zombies <laughs> is kind of a great idea. Um, and I'm not a zombie person, actually. I don't usually like zombie books, but I like it that when people rethink, well, if this happened, how would this change everything we know about mm -hmm. what came after and what would the construction look like when you have that to deal with as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really interesting, um, and that's another one that I think came up as a, just a really interesting read that's different um, than what we usually run across. 
Is there someone that we should be paying attention to coming up, um, Julie? I'm excited about this book that just came out by Catherine Applegate, who's a Newbery Award winner for uh, the one and only Ivan. She has a new fantasy trilogy that she's launching called Endling, and the first one's called The Last. It's uh, sort of a different world, and there's some different species in the world, and there's this one species... They're kind of like dogs, but they can walk and they have opposable (laughs) thumbs and they can distinguish any lie, which is really interesting. And the character, the main character, Bix, is an 11-year-old. He's the runt of the litter. And um, one day he comes home and his entire family has been killed. And he, they think, he thinks, he has always thought that they were the last family. But now he needs to set out and try to find more of his own people and so there's it's a great fantasy for animal lovers um, a great adventure and he has such interesting such a lovable character and has such interesting adventures along the way so I think that'll be exciting for young readers to dive into I just want to point out again there's a lot of fantasy that's Mm -hmm. out here that people are really responding to I mean very many ways of approaching it but Mm -hmm. it's still you know fantasy is just another way of looking at reality isn't it Mm -hmm. in a way that's not so so, that's not so personal but it's talking about the same stuff. I guess you're right. Yeah. You can look at it better if it's not, it doesn't feel like it's he- mm-hmm. happening here right, right. now. Yeah. I found that's especially true in young yeah. adult. They're using it as a mirror to, to show us our own world back. Yeah. All right. Last question. Uh, reviews, are they uh, making a difference these days or is it more word of mouth, peer to peer? I find that reviews are really helpful um, in determining how popular books are going to be for adults. People like to know that somebody else liked the book. So if you read a review and it is sort of lukewarm, that's going to affect your opinion Mm -hmm. of it. Um, That being said, I don't think they're the end-all, be-all, especially in this social networking world where everybody can tweet their favorite Mm -hmm. book that they're they're reading. I think that almost reviews and word of mouth have sort of combined, even though there are professionals doing them and semi-professionals and just people on their couches. But I think people still care. Well, I, I write reviews, so I'm a little bit biased. But <laughs> okay. Yes, they're still important. <laughs> yeah. But I think they're definitely still important, particularly for booksellers and librarians mm-hmm. and folks like that who are um, trying to, I mean, there are 30,000 children's books were published this year. How do you narrow that down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I, certainly they're helpful for me. Um, I'm actually m- more intrigued when things start happening online, where I see books being recommended on Tumblr that then become what my teens are asking for. Um, so that's a very, like, almost more of a snowball effect. Um, there may be critical reviews, but then if it picks up on one of the social platforms, then you'll suddenly get a real influx of readers. Um, so that's where I'm seeing most of my teens. If it's not their friends, then it's their online circle. Well, I thank you all for joining me, and great reading this yeah. summer. Thank I'm looking you. forward to it. Julie Roach is manager of youth services at the Cambridge Public Library, Robin Brenner, teen librarian at the Public Library of Brookline, and Andrew Maloney, music librarian at the Boston Public Library. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show, links to stories we discussed today, and bonus content on the web at news.wgbh.org UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Callie Crossley and like us at Facebook.com slash Under the Radar WGBH. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Vakanda Loingafe is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. Mm-hmm.